it's not free trade in practice. It's just in propaganda. What this is, is it's rigged trade. It's rigged for multinational corporations. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, my Liberty Leopards, to the Lions of Liberty podcast. As always, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. This is the 235th episode of this program. And you know what that means, guys. It means you can find today's show notes featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 235. Today's guest is the host of The Congressional Dish, a podcast which keeps an eye on Congress and has become really an invaluable resource for me and for anyone who wants to know what is going on with their government, or I should say with the U.S. government, if you're one of our many international listeners, which I've recently been finding out we have quite a few. She is making her second appearance on this program, and I am also pleased to welcome back Miss Jennifer Briney. Jen, are you ready to roar? Of course I'm ready to roar. All right. I, I, you know, I somehow knew you would be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks again for having me back. Of course, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And as you know, I'm a listener to your program because I don't have the time to do what you actually do take the time to do. And that is comb through so many bills that are coming through Congress. Obviously, you can't physically read every single word, but you come probably about as close as you can. And uh, you, you watch so many of these hearings in Congress and you really do just uh, an incredible job of breaking them down. So, you know, as I mentioned, you've been on the show before. I will link to that episode in the show notes for today's show. That is episode 164 for those playing along at home. So be sure to go back and check that out. Uh, but first, why don't you just kind of give the, uh, the Cliff Notes version, the elevator speech about just what it is you're doing over at the Congressional Dish? Well, Congressional Dish is, it's basically just trying to get people to pay attention to Congress. So I've given up the goal of reading every bill, realizing that's completely impossible. And now I'm just picking out the most interesting stories, the things that capture my attention. I'm really just trying to show people that Congress is important and fascinating because these stories that I'm uncovering, I mean, they should be all over the news and they're not. So like you said, I read actual legislation and I watch congressional hearings and I just kind of tell you what's going on, the stuff that that's the most interesting and trying to grab some attention away from the executive branch, away from Trump and Hillary and bring it over to the branch that we have the most control over. I think that's an important point because so many people are focused focus on the presidential election. Uh, we're guilty as charged over at our show because we're always breaking down the debates and and that's where a lot of attention is. So we want to kind of be where people are, are watching. At the same time, though, a lot of people just forget the fact that there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that are elected to this thing called Congress and they are the ones that actually write the laws. So that, that really is where a lot of the focus needs to be and it's where we have the most control. Whereas you can actually campaign effectively in a district for a certain congressman and that could actually actually have a substantial impact, whereas eh, you can only have sort of a, a min minuscule impact on the actual presidential race. Exactly. And on top of writing the laws, you can't forget, they also control the money. So, you know, so many people are afraid of Trump and Hillary for legitimate reasons. But if you're focusing on Congress, well, then you you have the power to not fund the crazy things they want to do. So Congress is incredibly powerful and has never been more important. Sure, Donald Trump can uh, can want to build a wall all he wants, but if he can't get the money from Congress, it's not really going to matter. Exactly. exactly. Now, now, Jen, uh, speaking of Trump, I guess, because he's really been 
one of the only presidential candidates outspoken against this, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And uh, he's not really the only. Of course, Bernie was as well. And now even we see Hillary as as someone who has become opposed to it in theory, even though, as you've mentioned on your show many times, she kind of did a world tour promoting this, uh, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But this is something that's come up in libertarian circles quite a bit recently. And most libertarians I know are, are generally opposed to this because they see it as basically a large crony capitalist tool for corporatist trade, not really free trade as it's touted to be. Uh, and recently, our, our candidate, the uh, libertarian candidate, Gary Johnson, for a long time, he he had he, that kind of line of thinking on the TPP. He mentioned how there was a lot of crony capitalist elements, so he was pretty wary of it. But recently, he became attached to this gentleman who is his, his vice president. We, we kind of joke in these circles that we're in here, the libertarian circles, that they're running as co-presidents because that's how they kind of act. Bill Weld is kind of attached at Gary's hip wherever they go. They're on interviews together. It's kind of become a little comedic thing among libertarians. But the fact is that since he's brought on Bill Weld, he has become, uh, let's say, a little more open to the TPP. He said, well, you know, I do see the problems with it, but a lot of my advisors are telling me that it's generally best for free trade, so I would probably sign it. And that, that has rankled a lot of libertarians. So I want to spend a little bit of time to focus on this issue. Uh, I know it's something that while you try to maintain uh, sort of an objective take on the news and an objective breakdown, this is one issue that you have pretty adamantly stated on your program that you are opposed to the TPP uh, unapologetically and are really campaigning against it actively. So well, just let's just start at the basics. What is the TPP? What is the Trans-Pacific Partnership? And you know, what, what kind of implications could it have on, on the lives of Americans? So the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and you're right, I am very openly against this. I just know too much at this point to to even pretend to be neutral on it. On it. It's a trade agreement, although it, it governs so much more than trade. But it's between us and 12 other countries. So it's basically the countries that border the Pacific Ocean to, to really, you know, make it simple. But the thing is, it builds on a system that's already being created. So this system, it was created by NAFTA and CAFTA in the World Trade Organization, and really at the heart of it, the thing that is the most disturbing is that it it expands something called the investor state dispute settlement system, which is basically a parallel legal system where corporations can go and sue governments if they don't like the laws that the governments pass. So let's say, for instance, um, you're a fossil fuel company and a local community doesn't want to allow you to frack the ground underneath their feet because it poisons water, yada, yada, yada. So this local community passes a law and says, we don't want fracking here. And so even though some politician had sold the land to a fracking company, this local law says that they can't grab the product from underneath the the local's feet. Well, now, instead of having to go through United States courts, the corporation could go to these tribunals, which are the, the judges and the juries are three corporate lawyers. So literally, these people can go from defending a corporation one day to being the jury the next day. And they can go to this legal system and say, hey, like we bought this land. This decision by this government is affecting our profits. And then they can get a ruling which could they can't necessarily overturn our laws. The tribunals don't have that power, but they can fine unlimited amounts of money. So the government could be fined so much money by these international courts that they end up finding themselves having to either repeal the law or a bunch of the tax money goes to this corporation for the profits they feel that they missed out on. So it really is a corporate court. So let's get this straight. There's This is an international court 
of uh, people that are basically former corporate lobbyists and corporate lawyers. And I, that, that word you use, tribunal, is just, is just too creepy. It's like a science fiction term, the grand tribunal of, of international trade or what have you. And well, these- that's what they call it, right. you know? So it's not me being, that's, I actually <laughs> tone that down a little bit because I'm with you on that. But here's the thing. It's not former corporate lo- lobbyists. It's current corporate lawyers. So they can be active working for corporations at the same time that they're passing judgments regarding, I don't know, even the same corporations or? Yes. Well, that's yes. Like, that doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't seem right. And we have no way to have any influence on who serves on these courts as the judges or the juries. It's all done behind closed doors. So so they can actually overturn like a local ordinance. Like if, say, Los no. Angeles County passes some ordinance, it affects a international corporation negatively. That corporation can go to this court, possibly populated by its own employees or in some way, shape or form. And then that court can overrule Los Angeles. No. So that's okay. that's the thing. They can't actually change the let's say Los Angeles is a good example. They can't go and tell Los Angeles that they have to change the laws. What they can do is fine Los Angeles in any amount that they choose. It doesn't even have to necessarily be fair. So in order to overturn the law, they can say, "Okay, you can keep your law Los Angeles, but you're going to have to pay 3 billion dollars a month or whatever." And once the appeals process are you know, exhausted, then Los Angeles will have to pay up because these international treaties, and they really should be called treaties, they trump our domestic laws. And so it's, at a certain point, Los Angeles has a choice to make. They can either change their laws or they can pay the fines and keep the law that they have. So, who would, so it's, it's coercion. Who would actually enforce that kind of fine? Would the U.S. government, as a partaker in the treaty, if it actually came to passage, would they then be the ones that would go to, let's say, Los Angeles and say, well, you know, you've been fined by this court. We agreed to this treaty and you owe the money. I mean, who, who actually would be the enforcers here? You know, that's actually a really good question. And that hasn't been tested as far as I know. The closest that we've come, we have lost a case so it used to be as of just a couple months ago that when you went to buy pork and beef products in the grocery store, it used to tell you where the animal was raised and slaughtered. Those are called country of origin labels. And Canada and Mexico got together and sued us in the NAFTA tribunal saying that it was unfair treatment to the Canadian and Mexican companies because they had to basically do more paperwork to track their animals. And domestic companies didn't have to do that because obviously if an animal is born, raised and slaughtered in the United States, there's no extra paperwork. So we lost that case. And we never actually got to the point where we were going to get fined for that because our Congress just repealed the labels instead of going to the fine. So we've actually never seen yet. I mean, this is all relatively new. We haven't actually been fined yet and saw how that process worked out here in the United States. So I don't know. So so this process does already exist and it's already been used. This is really just an expansion of it in in many ways to include some of these other countries. And I I assume because this thing is so darn huge, I think it's something like 10,000 pages. uh, There's a lot of little caveats buried all in there. Yeah. I mean, the the investor state dispute settlement system, this was, it's in the World Trade Organization. So, you know, every country that's in the World Trade Organization, I believe there's like 180 of them. They do have some kind of investor state dispute settlement system, but then these individual trade agreements set up parallel systems. So it's not like it's one court that's just getting bigger and bigger. We're setting up a bunch of these little courts from what I can understand. And so the Trans-Pacific Partnership would be the biggest of its kind outside of the World Trade Organization. So what's really interesting here is that there is this creation almost of, not almost, but there are people who are trying to create global governance 
but they're competing with each other. Careful, don't get, don't get all <laughs> Alex Jonesy on me now. Well, that's the thing. It sounds all Alex Jones, but when you look at what's happening right now, we are creating an international system for not only trade, but just for, you know, we have patent laws and, and things like that. And so we are creating an international system that is a global system. And what we're seeing is that instead of setting up a democratic system that in any way mirrors our own, we're setting one up where it's corporations that get the votes and not the people. And so that's what my concern is. Alex Jones, I mean, Alex Jones is insane, but not when it comes to realizing that there are things happening on an international scale that we should be paying attention to and we're not. Sure. And, and I joke, I mean, Alex Jones makes a conspiracy out of everything, but you know, a lot of the stuff that he pulls out and talks about is actually based on real things happening. He just puts his own, you know, wackadoo spin on it. But there is no doubt that you, there is a, a system of global governance being formed uh, by many different forces. And, you know, I'm not opposed to a free trade at all. I am actually think it would be wonderful if individuals can trade with other individuals around the globe as much as possible. But what we seem to be seeing through this global system is really that the most powerful corporations, they're really just setting the rules um, yes. for this trade as opposed to actually having it be, resemble free trade, whereas free trade is just kind of the label they slap on it to make everybody feel good about it. Precisely. It's not free trade in practice. It's just in propaganda. What this is, is it's rigged trade. It's rigged for multinational corporations. But the, the rigged Pacific Partnership just doesn't sound nearly as good, I guess. No, it doesn't have the right ring to it, does it? <laughs> Not at all. So who who are the primary forces in the United States that are, are currently pushing for this? I know uh, the Obama administration has been trying to ram this thing through for quite some time. Uh, so can you first tell us about the, the, I guess, the initial attempts to to ram this thing through Congress and what, what happened with that? Because I know there was a push to sort of fast track it through at one point that didn't exactly go through. Well... No, it's still on track. So fast track is it's a process that gets around the treaty signing processes that were put forth in the Constitution. So the Constitution basically says that if you're going to have an international treaty, the Senate has to pass it by a two thirds majority. Well, what the Congress did last year is that they changed that by by approving fast track authority. And so what fast track does is it allows this to come up for a vote in the Senate with only a 50-50 majority needed. So it really is a runaround around the Constitution. And then when it comes up in the House, there's going to be limited debate. So something of this importance, they've actually limited the amount of time that the people can consider it instead of saying, you know, we're going to do this as long as needed to make sure we're making a wise decision. So fast track did actually happen, which is how we can kind of predict how people are going to vote on the TPP. But a good thing to keep in mind is that fast track it's not just about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. There are other types of agreements that are being created right now. There's one called TTIP, which is basically us in Europe. And then there's another one called TISA, which is even bigger. This is the biggest trade agreement we've ever seen. And these are being negotiated in total secrecy right now. And those would also be covered by Fast Track. Basically, any free trade agreement would be covered by Fast Track until about the middle of 2021 is the... I could get into details of why I say that, but it's about 2021 is about how long we can expect this. So the next president will have fast track authority for any agreement that they make on an international scale for their entire first term and even some of the, the next ones. So this could go into the presidency of the next two people in the executive branch. And so that is basically just sitting and waiting for a vote on the TPP. Now, I did go to a conference last week in St. Louis with 
all the liberals. It was called um, Netroots Nation. And I got some really interesting information on where we're at on TPP. And it turns out that last year, after they passed the fast track legislation, the Obama administration did want a vote on TPP. And that was stopped because people like me and you know, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners called our congressman and said, don't you dare vote for this. And so because we were paying attention, they postponed the vote. Well, now it's an election year, so they're not doing anything controversial. And so the the goal now is to pass the TPP through Congress before the end of the year, but after the election. And that time period is called the lame duck. And that's the most dangerous part of any Congress, because what happens in the lame duck is you have congressmen and senators who have just been fired. So they they already know that they're not accountable to anybody. I've always thought that was so crazy. I've always thought, I mean, I understand there's got to be some time period between when someone is elected and when they actually physically can arrive to Washington, D.C., be sworn in and all that. But I always thought it was just a terrible thing to have people that have been voted out, been told you are no longer worthy of this position. And then they have about three months or so where they can still do whatever <laughs> it is they want. Right. And what we've seen in other lame ducks is that these people who are no longer accountable to any voters they end up doing favors for whatever company they're going to get a job with oh, yeah, next, exactly. whatever they lobbying need, they need organization. To find some work when they get out. Exactly. And the the two main forces pushing for the Trans-Pacific Partnership are the Obama administration, which is like whatever, they're on their way out the door too, but also the Chamber of Commerce, which is the biggest lobbying organization for big businesses, definitely in this country, if not the world. And so this is a corporate favor. It absolutely is. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have these unaccountable people in Congress that are going to have an opportunity to vote on something like this. And even the people that don't lose their jobs in Congress, they know that the lame duck is the furthest point from the next election. And they count on the fact that so many of us will forget about anything that went on in the lame duck the next time we vote, if we even found out about it at all. So that's the strategy. And I've got this confirmed by congressmen. That's the strategy that they're going with for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So if this thing is going to be stopped, it needs to be stopped with action right now by drumming up the same type of resistance that we had in 2015. We have to start doing that now so that when they come back for the lame duck, they know we're watching and we don't want this to happen. So that's where we stand. It's a really fascinating tag team there. The Obama administration, you know, hailed as progressives and champions of the left, champions of the people, teaming up with the Chamber of Commerce, who is, you know, basically uh, most closely associated with the Republican Party, you know, the champions of big business. So and here they are uh, completely on the same page. So who is actually like I'm trying to wrap my head around how major U.S. corporations, the people that fund the Chamber of Commerce, how they see that this as benefiting them. Is it really because if they don't like something going on, say we can go back to my Los Angeles example, they don't like something the city of Los Angeles is doing. They don't, they, in the United States right now, they would maybe have little power to stop that. But now that corporation could then go to this tribunal and exert this p- the power f- through this treaty, it should be called. I know they're calling it an agreement so they can get it through in a different way, but uh, they can basically utilize that to leverage localities here in the U.S. to their benefit. Is that is that about right? Yeah, definitely. I Feel mean, free to set me straight where I go off track because uh, this no, stuff is be really difficult to wrap our heads around. The anything. Chamber of Commerce is a collection of big businesses. And so this is a way for their clients, really, to go and have an other way other than our U.S. justice system to get their profits guaranteed. You know, so it's like in my fracking example, The fracking companies, Chevron, Shell, all of these, you know, fossil fuel companies, they're in 
the Chamber of Commerce. And so that's why the Chamber of Commerce is doing their bidding. You know, there's a lot of places that want to ban fracking, a lot of them. And I can tell you that if there was shale underneath my feet, I would want to ban it too, because I like drinking water without poison in it. Call me crazy. So, you know, there's a lot of people that want to use their local laws to stop the profits of the multinational corporations, not to stop their profits. That's not the goal, but to protect their own communities. And I read the environment chapter, you know, some of the, um, you know, the bullshit campaign about it is saying that this is the most environmentally friendly trade agreement ever. That's total crap. There's no real protections for the environment in there. But what there are protections for are patents for like medicines and stuff. So instead of being able to have a local law force a drug company, like let's say, you know, it's happening right now, to tell you the truth. We have a hepatitis C drug that is bankrupting our Veterans Administration because this company that bought the drug, they're charging $1,000 per pill, but they're giving our Veterans Administration a discount of $600 per pill. Now, there's other countries in the world that have gotten that down. So I think Egypt is paying like a dollar per pill. Is that because the patents don't apply in those countries? Um, well, they have their own laws, you know, so it's like now what they want to do is they want these patents to be international so that they can't have different prices for each individual country. They want to lock in these patents for a certain amount of time so that they can profit as much as they possibly can before any generics are allowed. So basically a lot of these companies, and I, I'm thoroughly opposed to the, the patent system, or at least the way it's applied currently, I mean, especially in the medical industry, it's one of the, the biggest injustices I think we have. And basically these, these same companies who are benefiting from these patents, they basically want to export what the power they have to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what these trade agreements do. I mean, this medicine thing is a big part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership because it does have, it puts patents into place. And it's actually, as far as the United States is concerned, we have one of the most friendly patent regimes to these companies, which is why our Veterans Administration is paying $600 per pill. So it won't really affect us that much, but it will affect these island nations that right now can negotiate their own prices. And once they sign on the dotted line, like I said, international treaties trump their local laws. So as soon as the TPP is law, they're going to lose their ability to negotiate and people will die because of this, because obviously if you can't pay for medicine, you can't take the medicine and you don't survive. So this is life or death for some people, if not necessarily those of us in the United States who were screwed a long time ago by these companies. Jen, we're going to talk a bit more about the current presidential election and just how it may affect the future of the Trans-Pacific Partnership in just a minute. But first, I need to take a little bit of time out to tell my listeners about another great libertarian podcast. We are Libertarians. Now, if you're a fan of this program, which I assume you are if you're still listening at this point, I'm very confident you're going to enjoy the work that Chris Spengel, Greg Lentz, and all the other co-hosts are doing over at We Are Libertarians. These guys blend humor and intelligence to explain to you all the crazy stuff that is happening in the world today and how we can fix it and try to filter those events through libertarian views. It's kind of like listening to friends, hanging out and drinking beer while talking politics. Very similar to a lot of the roundtables you hear on this program. They cover current events every single week from a libertarian perspective. It's like meet the press without all those stuffy politicians. Go ahead and check them out at wearelibertarians.com. You can also find them on every podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen Listen to podcasts, you can find these guys. Again, that's We Are Libertarians. They have the Mark Claire seal of approval. 
know, I think one positive that I've seen in this presidential cycle is at least this conversation, the TPP, has come up as an issue. I mean, I think even the fact that it's mentioned at all is is somewhat of a positive sign because maybe 50, 20 years ago, this is something that would simply just happen. It would occur. There would not be all these podcasts and, you know, Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds where people are talking about this thing called the TPP as there are now. So I think the fact that it's even become a political issue is it's definitely a good sign of the times. Uh, but, but do you have any sense of why some politicians such as Bernie Sanders and, and now Donald Trump and most recently, again, Miss Hillary Clinton have latched onto this issue and have stated opposition to it? We can certainly question at least one of their, their oppositions. That would be Miss Clinton, since she was a uh, very integral in the writing of this document. So it seems very strange to be opposed <laughs> to it now. But can you just kind of speak on uh, why this has become an issue in, in the election and why people are actually why we see politicians actually pounding on this? Well, I mean, trying to get into the head of Donald Trump is just kind of a, <laughs> a, bit of a challenge on its own. Yeah, I don't even know if it's worth trying, but but he's been consistent is- on it. I'll at least give him that. I don't know if I trust it, but he has been consistent at least over over since he's been you know, had this campaign, as was Bernie. He has been consistent on it, which is very interesting to me. And I think part of it might be that he's. I mean, blaming NAFTA for the loss of our manufacturing, that is legit because that that was one of the causes. And so this is just NAFTA, but much, much bigger. So maybe that's sound, part that, of it. That old Ross Perot always used to talk about when I was when I was a teenager. Yeah. This is exactly what Ross Perot was talking about, but I was too young to understand what he was. Yeah, he, I just thought he was a, a goofy guy that liked making that vacuum noise. Well, in the ears. Right, I just focused on, oh, you have big ears. You must not be a serious you know, person. I'm so shallow. I actually remember uh, we had like the mock election in high school, and I didn't really think too deeply about politics then. But I do remember not only voting for Ross Perot, but Ross Perot like won our high school like mock election. Like he was something did strike people about him even even back then. And I think even then there was that sense of, well, at least this guy is different. At least there's something else being presented out there because there's a there's like a, kind of a background sense that the Republicans and Democrats are sort of always screwing us over, even if so many people end up flocking back to them at the end of the day. Totally. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And, you know, on the Democratic side, <laughs> on the Democratic side, I think Bernie Sanders is against the TPP because he's actually against the TPP. He's no bullshit. He's been against this thing from the very beginning. He's talked about the investor state dispute settlement system. He's angry about the same exact things that I am, which is why I voted for him in the primary. You know, like he actually is doing what I want him to do on this issue. And I think he is the only reason that Hillary Clinton has said anything about the Trans-Pacific Partnership because it's not hyperbole to say that she went on a world tour promoting it. She actually went on a world tour promoting it. A literal world tour. Like actually did that in the last lame duck when no one was paying attention. So, and she was the secretary of state. I mean, the U.S. trade representative kind of does their own thing. It's an incredibly powerful position that very few people even think about. It's not in the secretary of state's domain, but she was definitely involved. She knew it was there. She's been pushing this thing. And I got to sit down with, and I'm not going to name names because it was off the record, but when I went Ooh. to Netroots Nation, I know, so some inf- inside info. Intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> when I got to sit down with some people that are actively trying to stop the TPP, but like no people in Washington, right. 
we sat down at the table and they said, well, you know, Hillary's come out against it. And I couldn't hold it back. I said, do we actually believe her on this? Because I don't believe her on this. And I swear to God, the whole table t- turns to me. I'm like, oh, no, we don't really believe her. But if she's going <laughs> to. These is a are quote. her supporters generally. or people These that- are people that are on the left. Right. OK. People who would theoretically support her anyway. Yes. These are people at a liberal conference. Like, yes. So these are people that are theoretically on the, on the same side without skipping a beat. They look at me and they go, oh, no, we don't believe her. But if she's going to butt fuck us on this, it's not going to be until 2018. <laughs> like, I first of all, it was like sitting in an episode of Veep, the fact that they spoke that way. And I loved every everything about that. But they didn't. Did they even actually use that beat. term? Yes. That's the word, amazing. That's yes. Fantastic. Yes. They actually used that term. And I was just like flabbergasted. So it was like people are out there right now being like Hillary's against it. But behind closed doors, they know she's not. And I know she's not. She's a liar. It's what she does. So, I mean, when it comes to signing the TPP, I'm actually really upset to hear that Gary Johnson is starting to like wiggle over to the pro trade agreement side because this is dangerous to our sovereignty. So I would hope that Gary Johnson supporters would pressure him because right now I'm leaning towards voting for him and I can't if he supports the TPP. I mean, it's just so unconstitutional this this parallel legal system. So yeah, we're we really and, have and to. I want, I, want, I want my listeners to kind of think about this for a minute. Jennifer Bryany is someone who voted for Bernie Sanders in a primary and is now considering voting for Gary Johnson. And I think that's just a. It really speaks to I think your the fact that you really do look at things by issues and not by you know party label or any of this garbage that we're told we have to decide things by. We have to just look at our R, look at our D, and move along. But you, you don't do that. You really do you know look at the issues that are most important to you and make the decisions based on that, which is commendable. It's it's really how everybody should be looking at things, but sadly it, it isn't. Oh, thank you. Well, and it, when it comes to who you pick for president, there's really, there's a couple things we have to keep in mind, which is that this person is going to be the commander in chief. And this is the person that would sign and create these trade agreements. And like I said, fast track goes until 2021. So, and that's already law. I mean, that's already done. So whoever is the president for those next four years will have the power to sign these trade agreements under this fast track authority. So, I mean, when it comes to the commander in chief position, both Trump and Hillary are incredibly dangerous when it comes to war things. Gary Johnson is the safest. And on TPP, I don't trust Hillary. Trump actually is the one who's, who's the most like, no, I won't sign this thing. And Gary Johnson is now apparently wishy-washy. So, I mean, we have a lot of studying to do in the next four months. But on Gary Johnson's platform, he can be pushed. So I think we might want to push him over in the no direction if you don't like that investor state dispute settlement system thing. I certainly agree with you there. And, And of course, I mean... Look, Gary Johnson is Team L, but like you, I don't just look at the letter. I, I try to break down the issues, and uh, uh, most issues, Gary Johnson is just simply far and away more palatable to me than than either Trump or Hillary. But the fact that he is, is even leaning towards possibly saying maybe he could support it is a little bit troubling, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it seems somewhat tied with his acquisition of his vice presidential candidate, William Weld, who has actually stated he's had a lifelong friendship with Hillary Clinton. So the, the conspiracy theorists, the Alex Joneses, the Alex Jones part of me, uh, you know, thinks maybe this guy is a, a representative of the New World Order or something like that and is maybe kind of, you know, trying to influence Gary a little bit in that direction. But um, well, well he is we'll establishment. That was kind of the point. Yeah, you know, he picked Bill Weld so that the serious people would take Gary more seriously. So they would say it's not just this stoner Gary. He's got this other more serious uh, governor here. Exactly. And the the fear that I have with Gary and not really a fear because this is easy to to undo. 
But I think Gary Johnson has not spent a ton of time looking into the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I've never heard him, like on that Joe Rogan episode he did for three hours, he never talked about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I don't think it's really on his radar and he he might just not be aware of what's in it. And so that's that's why I feel like it's up to his supporters to be like, hey, by the way, I know you're with this establishment guy now, but this free trade agreement is not free trade what like you think it is. You know, it's it's up to us to make sure he's aware. All right, Jen. Well, I do appreciate you coming on and trying to help break down this this issue a little bit more. Like I said, it's it's a phrase you hear a lot. It's three letters we just hear plastered out there, but it's it can be difficult to wrap our heads around what it actually is and what it actually means for the United States and for and for people around the world, really, because this really would affect a lot of people as as do all of these trade agreements, which there are many of, as you've mentioned, uh, Jen. Before I let you go, why don't you just tell us uh, what's going on? What what can we expect coming out of the congressional dish? Uh, you know, in the next few months. Months. Obviously, there's a lot of hoopla going on with the presidential election, but there's also a congressional elections. So I know you're going to be continuing to keep an eye on Congress. And I know you've mentioned you've got a, a little bit of interesting research in a few different areas that you might have coming up. So feel free to just kind of give a little preview of what people can expect over a congressional dish uh, in the coming months. Okay. Well, before I do that, I do want to let people know that this it was a very fast explanation of the TPP. I actually did a three-part series after we got the actual text. So if you do want to get more information, you know, the information that I've researched and talked about carefully, it's episodes number 114 through 116 of Congressional Dish. Those are really good resources. And, and I will link to all those in the show notes for today's program as well. So we'll make Thank sure people you. get to them. Oh, and then there's also episode number 96, which was about fast track. So if you want to know about that, because that is incredibly important. And like I said, valid until 2021. And then coming up, I have six more episodes before the election because I do two episodes a month. And so I'm definitely going to have to cover the Student Success Act. The This Congress did a major overhaul of our education policy. And I don't know what that means. So I get this to read the first time hearing it, of it. So, yeah, it's, it's not, definitely not something that's been uh, plastered all over the media. Or no, like not at all. I mean, they say that it replaces no child left behind. And I don't have kids, Ooh. so I don't know what that means. So this is going to be a really tough project for me. So I'm going to have to dive into that. That'll probably be the first episode in September. Um, and then I just need to go through and pick out the most important bills before we vote. I mean, I really I have five. Oh, oh, and then there's oh, sorry. <laughs> I have four episodes that I'm not sure about. But I also have an interview that I did with the chief of staff for a Republican congressman who gave me all kinds of insider insights into, you know, what goes on up there from inside congressional office. And his boss is retiring. So I think he was speaking quite freely. Uh-huh. And um, so that was super fun. So those two are coming up. And then the other four, I'm actually... I'm up for suggestions for what people want to know about this Congress before they vote. But if no one says anything, I'm just going to go through the bills and pick out the ones that jump out at me. I I also believe I heard you mention uh, a topic that will definitely be of interest to listeners of this program. And I heard that you're starting to do a little bit of research on the Federal Reserve and are looking at possibly doing a show on that. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I've been wanting to do this episode now for four years. So it's it's coming, but what I'm finding well, you might is- need four years to read The Creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, and I actually, you might even want to use this program as a resource because I interviewed uh, Dr. G. Edward Griffin way, way back in the beginning of, of, this, of this program. So I'll maybe oh, I'll shoot awesome. you that link after, uh, after we're done here. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I, I started that book and what I'm finding is I'm going to have to do a lot of filtering of information because there's a lot of really interesting stuff, but there's also a lot of nonsense. So this is just turning into a bigger project than I thought it was going to be. So I think after we get through the election and this crazy lame duck that we have coming up, I think in the beginning of next year, I can take a month and really dig my teeth into that. So that's coming up. I'll say sometime in the next year, because I really do need to know 
what's going on in the Fed. And then I also just put on my list an episode about Israel because it's so important to our Congress. And I really know very little about it except for the very basics. And so that is something I want to do in the next year as well. All right. Well, there's a lot ahead on the Congressional Edition. As I mentioned, guys, it doesn't really matter what your political persuasion is. I know I mostly have libertarian-leading people that listen to the show, and I have a lot of just people that are generally curious about the ideas on the show. And no matter what direction you're coming from, Jen Bryany here does just an excellent job of really trying to take an objective look at what is actually going on. Uh, even though you, of course, have your own opinions, you do insert them from time to time, but you really, I think, do an excellent job of trying to remain fair in your, in your actual analysis. So keep up the great work, Jen. Thank you very much. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Miss Jennifer Briney of The Congressional Dish. I can't stress highly enough how much I recommend this show to anyone who's just interested in what their government is doing. You don't even need to agree with me on everything to think that you should go and check out The Congressional Dish because she really does do a thorough job of looking at bills that Congress passes, hearings, you name it. Jenna's out there breaking this stuff down for us, and she is really doing a wonderful service out there that I think anyone who's following politics and following government, which really should be everybody in this damn country, but sadly it's not, should be following and checking out her work because she really is providing an invaluable service. Now, yes, I know some of my listeners might hear some of the remarks that Jen makes, say, about fracking and start getting all rankled and say, oh, that's not true because fracking's good and bleh. And you know what? I don't really have a strong position on fracking. As with everything, I think it should come down to property rights. If fracking in a certain area is causing damage that can be identified as harmful to people, well then yes, companies that do it and cause that harm should have to pay a price, a steep price. They should have to compensate the people that they have harmed for damages. But the point of today's show is obviously not to get into a debate about fracking or even property rights. It was mostly to discuss the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and this is really something that I think can be a bipartisan issue in that it doesn't really matter your political persuasion going into it. If you actually take a look at what is in this agreement, it's called an agreement. It's really a treaty, but when they use the word agreement, it becomes a lot easier to pass through Congress. Hmm, interesting. You know, anybody that really takes an objective look at this will see that it is not a fair situation for citizens of the United States. It is not a fair situation for citizens of many other countries involved in it. It is overall a rigged trade deal, as Miss Briney so eloquently pointed out. And I think it's something we can all come together on with people of all persuasions. I mean, you see Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton that both have taken this political position, even though we can't really trust Hillary's position on it. They are both coming out against it because it is an issue that does have some sort of political traction right now. And Trump has been an open advocate against it, which is why it's even more sad that Gary Johnson is is not as vocal against the Trans-Pacific Partnership when all of his, his opponents seem to be. And, and I think it's just fascinating that we have Jen Briney here, someone who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, at least in the primaries, and she's leaning towards voting for Gary Johnson. I think this is uh, very telling of, of not only the times, but also of Miss Briney's character and the fact that she really does try to look at things uh, uh, through the lens of the issues and not just through this stupid left-right paradigm that's just got to die, my friends. And we're working hard to kill it because we've got to have a rational dialogue. we got to have a dialogue that wipes away all these labels. That's what I attempt to do here at Lions of Liberty. If you think I'm making a good attempt, 
Well, you can praise me. You can also criticize me. You can do that by coming over to our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. If you just type that in your search bar on Facebook, it should pop right up. Or you can also send me an email, Mark, M-A-R-C. Don't put a K in there, guys. M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. If you want to send me, you know, some, some private criticism or praise, whatever you like. And guys, this show can only grow if you help it grow. And it has been growing, and it's been thanks to you. So I want to encourage my listeners out there to continue to do what you've been doing. Tell your friends about this program. Share it. You can share from our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can retweet our podcast by following us on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. You can just talk to your parents and say, hey, do you know what a podcast is? (laughs) No? Okay, well, let me tell you what a podcast is. And now that you know that why don't you check out Lions of Liberty? Because they have some really great conversations about the ideas of liberty. And you might really get a better idea of where I'm coming from if you listen to it. Lastly, but not leastly, I want to encourage you to subscribe to this program on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, however it is you listen to podcasts. Hitting that subscribe button is a huge help to growing this program and getting it into more earbuds and earballs out there. And if you can also, while you're there, Leave us a five-star rating and a great review. These little tiny things that take only a few minutes of your time do wonders to help our program. Of course, you can also help us by supporting our sponsors and by shopping through our Amazon link over at lionsofliberty.com. Any little act you can do to help us grow this show is so greatly appreciated because we really are trying to do some great things with this podcast, with the conversation about the ideas of liberty. We're going to keep doing it here. We're going to keep looking for ways that we can expand this program. Of course, my friend John Odermatt is doing it every single Friday on Felony Friday, so be sure to tune in to another episode this coming Friday. And until next time, folks, live long and live free.